Welcome to the Mindful Medicina Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette Daniels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. And joining the conversation today is my friend and colleague, Janelle Hartman, lymphatic and colon hydrotherapist, esteemed yoga teacher of teachers, and the co-producer of this show. Welcome to the Mindful Medicina trailer podcast episode. Today is an opportunity for you to get to know your hosts. I'm Dr. Jeanette Daniels. And I'm Janelle Hartman, the co-host. This episode, we had some fun. We were interviewing each other, um, bringing out some of our biography with some silly questions and some serious questions that were chosen randomly from bags. Yeah, it got real fun and it lasted a long time. We went over two hours and so we decided to chop these up into segments so that uh, you can have a little bit of fun with us here along the way. We'll pepper these in. Um, We had a great time doing it. I hope that you enjoy getting to know us. All right. Okay. Silliness? Silliness. If you could go back in time... What era and place would you visit? And so my question is, is time linear? Are we assuming that? No. No. Okay. No. A part of me wants to go back. If we're going to go back, and of course I'm saying that as time is linear, Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the... Adam and Eve story, mm. and I want to meet Adam and Lee, Eve. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> apples again. <laughs> uh, I mean, why not? I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, what's it all about? Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I got to know, like, you're going to meet them. What's the icebreaker? <laughs> What's the combo? Uh, What's you the- know, uh, <laughs> you know, some people are talking about you uh, in 2023, and uh, you know, uh, they're making out the the woman to be the bad guy all the time. <laughs> and uh, do you guys get bored of each other? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that'd be really cool to meet them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I also would be super interested in in meeting Jesus and going back to that time of, as of mm-hmm. war. you know mm-hmm. it's um you know myself I I also am not religious um, from the perspective of I I believe that this is this is how it ends this is how it begins and if you if you don't believe this then you're going to H E L L right. Um, I, you know, I grew up LDS, Mormon, and, you know, that was probably about four or five years of my childhood. And it so it, it had quite a big impact on me and, and how I would perceive the world for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, along the way, you know, I, I, I disagreed with some of the things in, in the church. But the one thing that I always remained... Um, I think grateful for was uh, Jesus and, yeah. and his teachings. And 
I just think he's a cool guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd love to meet this guy. And I'd like to meet Mary Magdalene and his mom and, mm-hmm. you know, just what a, what a cool group. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I, that's, that's, that's where I'd go. It's, it's torn between meeting Adam and Eve and going back and meeting Jesus and yeah. all the Marys. Yeah, it's a little bit like Little House on the Prairie. That's where I would really like to go and I'd like to be in the crew. I'd like to go and... Uh-huh. I'll be his 13th apostle. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just like to see you. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if you could go back knowing, like, have, with the 2023 mind, you know, like going and just knowing how things have flowed and, and where we've been in that time, you know, in between, like, I think that that would be really fascinating. I mean, there's not another person that's spoken about more than him. Yeah. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, like he synthesized so many wisdom traditions, you know in his travels to India and Egypt, to mm-hmm. Tibet. Yeah, I mean, it was a you know, really incredible way of bringing all of that together. And um, he's the highest initiate. That's what I mm-hmm. feel. He's the highest initiate in our, in our solar system. Um, I, I, I did think that I, I'd probably wander back to um, ancient China and I'd go to the, into the Wuhan mountains, so some of the Taoist temples. I have really um, a pretty deep affiliation with with the Tao and um, and those teachings. And I use that to organize my psychology and, and guide a lot of my um, my way through. And um, to be in that environment, the immense quietude in the mountains, and the I re- like. Again, loving routine, just merging in with their practices and rising at dawn, and just can only imagine like the, yeah, mm-hmm. just the beautiful the qigong practices and the meditation and the healing and yeah, yeah. I'd like I'd be like, okay, if they came, the time machine came back to get me. I'd be like, uh, you guys, uh, give me another. <laughs> Give me another few years here, right? Doesn't matter. We can just go back, right, to the yeah. present. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you can leave me here for a while. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll come with you. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep following you. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like we keep want we we want to be in the same family. Yeah, it's and not we su- want to travel the same <laughs> time period. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. We'd have some similar answers here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. So, so uh. Serious, my turn. Okay, serious. Oh, when was the happiest time of your life? Oh, this is an interesting question. I take a deep breath. Yeah. (laughs) Right now. Yeah, exactly. Right now, it's like right now. Um, <laughs> that's the spiritual answer. It's now. It's like hasn't it's happened right yet. Now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's still to come. <laughs> um, the happiest time of my life, um, reflect, reflecting upon, um, uh, was after a my dark night of the soul, which happened in um, 2011, where my life just kind of. Um, Everything flew apart, um, and I won't go into much detail about that, but uh, 
basically I didn't have any place to live. I had, I had some money to play with, so I just went and I was traveling around the country um, paying for trainings with these amazing yoga masters that I hadn't previously been able to afford when I was paying rent somewhere and I had like an established life. But I was, I had basically been taken down to zero um, in so many levels and I was in this complete state of potential and flux. And at the time it just felt like excruciating darkness and pain. And when I look back on it, it was like the fertile soil of everything that I would become. <laughs> um, hindsight has a way of um, being able to see those things. Um, and then it's interesting because later I found that in the yogic teachings, there's um, something you'd, I, I haven't heard until like the last couple of years, and it's still hard to find information on this, but it's actually called Samvega. Samvega is, um, is like this period where you are um, stripped to where, like you hear about kings who leave their thrones and go out into the woods and grow their beards and their nails. And like, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. That There's a cool story about that. And I'm like, oh, it's San Vega. When I, when I heard about San Vega, I was like, that guy. Um, but I was like, yes, that was me. And um, I even, when I returned to Seattle and I decided not to get a home and I lived in my car and I actually had a job um, I was doing different catering. I had like was part of a catering agency that would send me all over the place, and I was still teaching yoga classes. But I just lived in my car, and I had nothing, and I had you know a few changes of clothes, and it was I was so close to God because I was I was like everything that I had been had been stripped away, mm-hmm. and I was just slowly building myself back intentionally, um, and I had the grace of so much amazing support from people who loved me and believed in me. And so that was like a, this fertile fertility or like a, um, a fertilizer to that soil. And I had become so clear about who I wanted to be um, by having everything false taken away. Mm-hmm. And that was the happiest time of my life. And, at the, and I would not have said that at the time. <laughs> but the type of joy it's the joy and the brev- and the, the levity that comes from um, having seen the darkness and then walking into the light. Like it's a, a wizened mm-hmm. type of joy mm-hmm. that's um, that has some street cred, mm-hmm. and that yeah, and it, that brings me the most happiness and makes me feel invincible. Mm. Yeah, gorgeous. Mm. Mine is sort of the opposite, where I'd come out of the dark or had been seen. Um, I sort of went back and forth with what would have been, I have two situations that would have been the most happy for me. And the first one was when my stepmother decided to leave my dad. (laughs) And I was 12. And I remember standing in the, the street watching her drive away in the station wagon. Big shout out to station wagons. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just jumping up and down in the street saying, I'm free, I'm free. Wow. You know, just yeah. the abuse was done and I realized at that moment I, I looked to I looked to my friend my childhood friend and I said I can be anybody I want to be now and uh that was that was 
what's what's more happy than free, right? Yeah. Yes. Freedom, right? Yes. And um, I would say probably a close second to that would be when I was 17 and I was in my first year in college, which was a two-year college, and I was the head point guard for Erie Community College back in Buffalo. And I remember I was driving. I, I basically was sleeping on couches, and I was pretty much homeless. And at the time, I had crashed on my dad and his new wife's couch for a couple of months. So I was coming from their house, and I was driving a Plymouth Scamp, <laughs> just a $300 car, if you can imagine. And I was on my way to a scrimmage one Saturday morning, and the car... I had my I had my teammates in there with me, by the way. I picked up a couple of them, and my car just died. On our way to scrimmage Buffalo State College, four-year college. And we're just in the car panicking because all of us, all three of us, are starters. <laughs> oh, man. So, so I'm like, we're just going to shut it. I mean, it's already shut off, right? We're going to let it rest, and then we're going to try to start it. So we sat there for 15 minutes. I turned the key. It turned on. Thank, thank the heavens. So we're on our way to the game. We get there just in time. We play. We get our butts handed to us. I mean, we got, we got, we got toasted. I mean, I think the score was like 100 to like 13. <laughs> Damn. And um, after the game, the coach, the head coach from Buffalo State came up to me and said, um, you know, hey, do you have a few minutes? I want to talk to you. And um, she proceeded to ask me, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about what your goals are, what you want to do with your life, tell me about your background. So I basically laid out my entire life to her leading up to this moment, which included my mom just passing away, my birth mom passing away uh, with HIV. And... She said, well, the reason I'm asking you all these questions is because I saw the way that you played, and I'm waiting for her to say, you really suck, because <laughs> we <laughs> kicked your butt. But she said, you play with a lot of heart, mm. and I want to take you on, I want to, I, want to, I want to recruit you. And I said, well, I don't have the money and she goes, well, I'm going to get you on a program called Equal Opportunity Program, and it's for students with adverse backgrounds. So basically, it's going to be mm. all African Americans and you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, that would be incredible. And she said, they're going to pay for your food, they're going to pay for your dormitory, and all you got to do is play for me. So um, it was just, she said, you know, we we really need more people like you on the team who have a lot of heart. And it, it was just astounding to me to be seen mm -hmm. emotionally for my will. Yeah. And not even my gameplay. Yeah. And uh, I was happy because I was seen. I mean, what's, there's so much value to being seen yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, that would be the two times, the moment I felt free yeah. and the moment I felt seen. Fabulous. Oh. Wow. So. Mm. Yeah, to be free and to be seen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Okay, now it's... Lovely. Okay, time for some silliness. Memorable line from any movie? The first one that comes to your head. Oh, I'm a cinephile, so this is a, this is a tough one. Um, memorable line from any movie. Actually, okay, this actually I, I know which one I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down here because it just it keeps coming up just around everything that's happening in in the world. From a little movie called The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Ooh, la, la. Ooh. Yeah. That's the that's the greatest I trick. Hit, I just want to hit the cryptic Wait, button. No. <laughs> Do I have a cryptic button on this? We have our machine. We have like some sound effects. We haven't learned how to use it yet, but we're going to... What, what sound effect would you have put in? You should make it with your mouth. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, I would say... People should not fear their government. It is the government that should fear its people. Mm. D for vendetta. Ah, mic nice. drop. Where's the mic drop button? Mic drop. Here, oh. we can do a high five. Maybe that'll get captured on the mics. <laughs> we, could we, gotta, we could just literally drop the okay, mic. Okay, let's have a, like, a notepad. And these are, we have to make a list of what sound effects. Okay, we have a mic drop and we have a... We're taking suggestions for <laughs> <No>. suggestions. <laughs> sound effects. <laughs> All right. All right. Was that our serious? No, that, that was, was our... that was silly. So it's your turn to, to me, go that serious. Was serious. Okay. That was kind of yeah. That was serious. Yeah. Everything's serious to us. <laughs> Even our we jokes. are seriously silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whose turn is it? It's your turn, girl. I'm going to serious. Serious. Okay, what fear have you conquered that makes you who you are today? Definitely dating back to my childhood, the fear of not being smart enough. Mm. When I was a kid, I could not learn. I couldn't memorize anything. I couldn't understand anything. And it was because I was in a perpetual state of fight flight. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. And... Nothing mattered to me more than being a smart girl. Uh-huh. And there was something about it to me that I, in my mind I thought I would be more lovable if I was smart, which was a ridiculous thing to even think because I was never even asked if I had homework or how my tests went. You know, There was no governing mm-hmm. over me in the house, mm-hmm. in the world of academics. But I had this little tape recorder that I would use when I was eight and nine years old, and I would journal it, journal in it, and almost all of my entries were about how I had a science test or a math test mm-hmm. coming up and how I really need to study and I really need to pass it and I really want to get a good grade. And my whole childhood was based on, you're just not smart. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward several decades later, 
to apply to medical school, I had so much imposter syndrome. It was crazy. I didn't feel I belonged there. I didn't feel I earned the right. I wasn't groomed for it. I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. How was I going to pass a class in, in, at this level of academics? Like It just, to me, I don't think I... I don't even think I ever got out of that fear of not being smart enough until I actually had the degree in my hand. Because what I would do is said, you know, I guess the goalpost would be, okay, if I can pass the first quarter in med school, then I'm smart enough. Mm -hmm. Then I kept pushing it. Okay, well, that was was luck. You passed the first quarter. You got to pass the first year. (laughs) And then I was like, no, the second year is known to be the hardest. So you have to pass... The second year, and then you're smart enough. So it just kept being moved, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so finally, what I realized is that I actually undervalue. I undervalue the whole academic system as a way to define my intelligence, mm. because. That's rote memorization, and it's sort of an indoctrination and a programming. And some of the brightest people that I have met and had conversations with maybe didn't even finish high school mm-hmm. because they could use their instincts and their intuition and solve problems, real problems, yeah. and stay open to possibilities. And so I don't remember who said it, but the saying goes, I once was educated and I spent a whole lifetime trying to fix that. That was Mr. Einstein. So it's like (laughs) my, (laughs) for me, my efforts are to unlearn. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so so that would probably be that would probably be my answer there. <laughs> that not feeling like a smart girl. It's interesting, you know, Oprah, she's actually quoted as saying something along the same line is that, you know, if 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 she could be a smart girl, then she would be loved. And when I read that, I said, oh My God, that's where I come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now I think it's more fun to just be funny. <laughs> I'd rather yes. hang out with somebody. Who's, you know, because to me, um, a good sense of humor is one of the highest forms of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's like it's like you have all your thoughts, and then you're able to like play in the trees and leap. It's it really is. It's a high high form of intelligence to yeah. be able to then play. And you're yeah. and you have that. Uh, <laughs> you're so freaking quick and witty. It's just amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Jenna. Uh, Love being around you. Uh, yeah, likewise. Um, I shared earlier my fear. What? What's? How does the question word it again? What is the question? So the question is: What fear have you conquered that makes you who you are today? Oh God. Yes. Yeah, so I will harken back to um, describing my. Journey. I will say. I will call in a more maybe the more spiritual context. My journey into the throat chakra, really. Um, and 
And I mentioned before, like doing Toastmasters and, and going through that whole process, which was really the most spiritual of all the yoga and the other, you know, esoteric things I'm involved with. It was the most spiritual process that I've ever been through. And when I think about what, you know, looking back, sometimes we don't really even know the anatomy of our fear until we have conquered it. And we look back and we see what, what it was really made of, the components, because it's so hypnotic and all-encompassing when we're in it that we, we just we don't know how to name it. And, you know, our, our brains are so interesting as they're designed to survive. And part of surviving in tribe or surviving in the collective is... Um, really responding to, um, it, well, a lot, of, a lot of the norms are enforced by shunning. And so there's a part of us that feels that if we um, go against the group, um, if we, um, we speak up and it's the wrong part of the narrative, or whatever, that the shunning will, we will be ostracized from the, the group and then we will be on the outskirts and we will not survive. We will be picked off by the wild things or whatever. And it's just, this sounds so ridiculous. And yet there's this very deep part of our brains that, Mm -hmm. that if it's not brought into consciousness is controlled completely by shunning. Mm -hmm. And the fear that I had about speaking in front of, of people and like really using my voice was that, that, um, I was afraid of what other people thought. And if I wanted to please everybody and I had this, and it was interesting because I was such a punky chick, you know, I was so so rebellious, but, you know, like deep down there was that fear of really like being accountable for the things that I said, even, you know, like, um, the, because it is communication is a form of leadership. And I just did not, um, see myself and having the capacity to be somebody that would even be safe for people to listen to somehow I wasn't giving myself that credit. And so um, although then the the conflict was that I had so much to give and I had so much intention and I had such a vision and such a so much dharma around that. So um, I think it was Anais Nin, I'm going to butcher this quote, like, um, you know, the, the bud had to open because it became, it was too painful for it to stay closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a physical pain involved with that. And it was... Um, slowly just like there's really there's some fears and this is the way fear is a lot you really just have to step into it just like you were accounting for it. like you went into the school you really just were like going for another year we're just doing it um it takes a lot of courage to do things when you're afraid and just to keep going and um so I jumped into the pool and um and the more that I the more that I spoke um and I it really has a lot to do you know they tell you this in Toastmasters too like don't Talk about crap you don't know anything about. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people feel freer because you're talking out of your butt. That's not from your experience. If you speak from your experience, it's authenticity. That's what quells fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Gratitude and authenticity, um, like acknowledging what I know and um, standing in front of other beings and opening my mouth and, and sharing it. And then also kind of developing that little bit of like, I don't really care what you think. You know, it's like kind of this very important initiatic severance from the tribe into sovereignty, into individuation, where your voice now is coming, you know, there's the throat chakra, but then the solar plexus, we'll have a whole, probably have a whole episode on chakras and the whole process of psychology, but our individuation and the ability to just stand completely on our own and speak us from God out of our lips is that third chakra. And when I really found my individuality, then the words just started coming. It was, wasn't this complex surgical process. 
um, it was it was still practice, you know, because there's a, then the art form of rece- like receiving the energy of who you're speaking to in the crowd and like being able to give it back using your hands. It, there's a lot of magic there. But as far as just the raw material, the prima materia of of my dharma that wanted to come through was there when I found that authenticity and that individuation. And so that fear or conquering that fear of my voice was the ultimate. It was the, it was really my opus that I think everything unfolds from Mm -hmm. to this day. And I fear not standing in front of a large group of people and saying something completely against the narrative because I feel that when we do that, we're protected and there's a way that those things get sorted out. And will we have some consequences in the, will there be some storm that will come? Yes. Do you have faith to stand with the words that you have said and weather that storm and know that God will protect you and know that it will not be easy and that the shunning will come. You can calculate on that. You can mm-hmm. count on that, calculate the resistance. But I have a lot of faith in words that are spoken in truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being being true and authentic to yourself is really key. And to me, it's more terrifying to go along to get along. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, f- it might feel a little comfortable, but it turns your wor- world into a hell world. Yeah. Your liberty is eroded. Yeah. And if we've already established that freedom and being seen... And is happiness, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the freedom that I got at 12 years old, I'm not going back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, courage doesn't exist without the presence of fear, right? That's right. So, yeah, I mean, it's the only person you really need to be accountable for is to the collective consciousness, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's amazing, too, that, you know, when we speak the truth, and oftentimes when it goes um, against a very unethical narrative, then we're also, like, in that moment, people feel like we're piercing their hearts, and yet we're also liberating them. So they can attack us. I think this is our, you know, something that we, when we go back in, in our time machine to talk to Jesus, I think he talks a lot about this, is that, you know, um, you really have to stand in that to, to love them and they'll throw the stones at you, they'll crucify, you know, um, they'll persecute and you just have to love. Mm-hmm. You just have to love them. Keep speaking. It's, it's the cognitive dissonance that is scary and mm-hmm. alarming to people. Yeah, to hear there's other possibilities, you know, because they found security mm-hmm. in this particular narrative or belief system. Mm-hmm. This is why religions, you know, they they're at war with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really uncomfortable for humanity from the perspective of the three D plane to be wrong. Yeah, and. For me, the podcast here is not to be right, but to be able to come to more questions, really. Yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. Guided by 
curiosity, mm-hmm. exploration. Mm-hmm. Wow, are you ready to get silly? What's the weirdest item you keep by your bed? (laughs) (laughs) Are there any children listening? (laughs) No. Uh, The weirdest item, probably the good old tape recorder. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. For dreams, for ideas, for what? Journaling. Journaling, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not singing. (laughs) <laughs> what about what about you? I think the weirdest thing by my bed is a um, a little crystal bowl full of um, strips of kinesio tape that I use to tape my mouth when I sleep. So I do the uh-huh. mouth taping thing. So and that's how we get you to stop talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> don't don't shut that chakra down. Come on. Yeah, it's good though. Like, yeah, the mouth taping is good. That's how I get my, like the best sleep of my life. Wake up at four a.m. ready to do my wow. pranayama meditation. Do my and like, yeah, it's a game changer. It's also for oral health. Like, so good for your teeth not to mouth breathe. I mean, there's you can read James Nestor's book Breathe. Um, so I was inspired by that book to start taping my mouth shit. Nice. So you know, also prevent snoring. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a nose breather, so I don't have to worry about. There you that. go. Yeah. I thought I was, but I'd wake up and my mouth would be all hanging up, like open. <laughs> like, so, I don't know. I haven't ever done a sleep study on myself, so I just know I'm I'm just sleeping like a baby now that I'm I'm taped up. Mm, total yeah. total nerds here. <laughs> we have so many more serious ones. Really? Oh man, are we getting serious fatigue, or should we just go silly for a while? Well, let's go one more. One more serious? serious. Okay. No, seriously, pick a good one. Okay. <laughs> I'll pick a good one with my hand. My hand will pick a good one. Okay, okay. What do you think are the best skills you bring to your job? Uh, we, You're going to toot yeah? your horn. You go okay. first. All right. I know we're just like thinking, what are the best skills I bring to my job? Um I think that I bring um, a sense of optimism. A lot of folks that come in to um, our, the place that we work and, you know, and they come in and, and they've got some painful stuff going on and things that feel kind of hopeless and stuck and, and um, you know, daunting and maybe other types of um, practitioners have given them some gloom and doom and um, they've done uh, <laughs> done their own research online and found a lot of gloom and doom or have, have, are off on a, the wrong trail in researching something. And, and so I think it's just really looking people in the eye and saying, hey, you know, if we just know what's going on here, we have some, we apply some wisdom to this and there's so much wisdom around this that, you know, I bet we can start to turn this around and just give people a sense of hope and optimism. That's something that I know that I, I give to people. I love to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love to solve problems. So I get a little excited f- when a problem is put in front of me. And I think that people pick up on that and they see that I'm not like I'm, I'm off to the races with, you know, thinking about, oh, the, the, how does this part of the body work? And here, how does it interact here? And what do I know? And, and, um, I, 
a lot of times if I don't directly know the answer or some great suggestions, then I know who to have them talk to. So it's just like we're never stuck. There's always going to be hope. And that's something that I, I know is a great thing that I, I bring. Mm-hmm. And um, I do have a lot of experience um, with my own health issues. And um, I have a, a mind that I remember things really easily. My, I have a really good memory. And so all of the experience that I've had in my yoga career and in um, in my natural health career, like all the case studies and all the things, I just have an encyclopedia in my head to draw from. So that's something that I bring um, that can help. And coming up with a plan for lifestyle changes, which I think is so much more important than just throwing supplements at things or going to the next practitioner, next practitioner. It's just that really that DIY consistent routine that we can get folks to, to get into with their lifestyle. Um, and I'm really good at rubbing bellies and making people poop. I'm just like really good at making people poop. Can I just like, you said it to my horn. I, I just, I, like, yeah, you're a good I just, master. I just, I'm a kind of a poop master. Yeah. And I love, I love doing abdominal massage when the colon is full of water. It's like really fun. I just, <laughs> It's thing. like just like yeah. I mean, I can. It's just it's so. It, I love it. I get excited to come to work every day so I can massage bellies and watch the poop go through the tube and and interpret the data. <laughs> Put on your nerd hat. All right, that's my answer. Okay. Period. What do I think are my best skill sets besides? The obvious diagnosing and prescribing, all that boring stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you this. I don't have the answers. The patient does. Mm -hmm. And I just help them figure out Mm -hmm. that answer themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'll often have patients that come into my office thinking they have an issue with thyroid or they can't lose weight or constipation like you were talking about because that's what our clinic is known for is doing the colonics. So, you know, someone comes into your office and they have problem A and I will typically sit them down and I have a really good, um, I guess I will call it more of an intuition than a skill set. An intuition as to what is the root, which tends to be emotional. Um, that's what I start to dive into. I'll classically, because I study hand analysis, I'll grab someone's hand. And they're like, I came here to get some blood work. Why are you asking to look at my hands? So I'm like, oh, okay, I can see this and that. And, um, you know, we'll start diving into the ego because the hand represents the ego. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about life purpose, life lesson. And all of a sudden, we're not even talking about the thyroid anymore. We're talking about you. <laughs> And I will often say, I want you to use your spidey sense. I want you to tell me what you think is the cause of this A thing. And there's typically tears because they already know. Yeah. And really the doctoring, it's interesting because you would think that 
my actual doctoring is my skill set. My skill is in sort of reminding each and every person that comes to the door that you're actually the doctor. Mm-hmm. So ideally, I'd like to take the back seat as the doctor, which is counterintuitive to hear. But no one knows your body better than you. Mm-hmm. And if your body represents your subconscious mind, <laughs> that's that person is going to be you to come to those answers. So if you want to know, what do I do at work? What are my skill sets on the less, you know, esoteric front? You know, I'm damn good at anything you put in my hands because I have incredible eye-hand coordination. That's a secret weapon I have. (laughs) I can, like, be opening a cabinet in the bathroom and something falls out of the cabinet, and I'm looking the opposite direction, sort of see it peripherally, and catch it with one hand while brushing my teeth with the other hand. It's just incredible (laughs) skill. I'm like, how can I profit off this? I can tell you, folks, this is why you want Jeanette to give you your IV she just like <laughs> she just gets it in the vein. There's no pokey 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 There's poke. no time. The vein pop. doesn't know it's happening. <laughs> Nobody in the room knows it's, it's so happening. Hard. So I was training the, the <laughs> a couple of the the doctors and one of the nurses on IV, and one of the docs wanted to record it so they can study how I do it. And they recorded it, and it was four seconds. <laughs> and everyone was like, <laughs> "I can't learn from this four second video." So anything you put in my hand, I'm going to master. I'm incredible at deep tissue. I'm incredible with injuries, massage, specifically deep tissue Mm -hmm. and working origin insertion of of things. So if I can touch it, I can fix it. <laughs> That's it. But you know, again, you know, that to me is um, you know, 3D work. Yeah. You know, where I sort of shine, which I never thought was actually going to be what I did with my medicine mm-hmm. was going into the esoterics, the 5D things with people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the level too, like with the optimism and the the faith and the hope is um, really expanding people's views of like, okay, you're experiencing these physical symptoms, but let's let's pan out. I got some other questions for you about this. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times like, you know, with the things we do, there's a lot of time to chat. There's a lot of time to talk with people. And I think that that's something that's really beautiful. It's not this turn them and burn them. Thing that we see in a lot of you know allopathic clinics that there's some time to spend with people and to yeah. talk about life and to you know ask maybe ask some of these questions that lead us to understanding what's happening in the a little bit more on these other levels um, it's a luxury I suppose that we have mm-hmm. uh, is time yeah as naturopathic physicians is that we get an hour with you and an allopathic doctor, get seven minutes yeah and it's like i see a rash here's a steroid i'm like hey i see a rash what are you trying to push down um it's that is 
That is why natural medicine to me is really doing much more powerful work for people, for humanity, is really just the time spent yeah. in getting to know the person as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. spiritually, mentally, physically. The whole thing is a package. It's not, it's not sold in parts. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. That would be a skill set I think all of us have as as healers is recognizing the whole. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right, should we get silly? I guess it's my turn. Oh my God, is this the last? <gasps> Our silly bag is empty, folks. This See, is the last one. We have more serious questions. Oh. Who was your first celebrity crush? <laughs> well, this is funny because, you know, when you ask about somebody's first celebrity crush, you never say the name of the actor, you say the name of the character, right? Oh, that's funny. It's like, for me, it was Luke Skywalker. Of course it was. You know, because I'm like, Mark Hamill. Like, <laughs> I'm like, who's like, that? I know, totally. Yeah, I was like, Luke Skywalker. And then, you know, when I got a little older, it was Han Solo because he was a scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't say Harrison Ford. No, no, right. it was no. Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then um, my dad and I would watch. We, you know, um, we would watch a lot of old programs and movies growing up, and we loved watching the old Star Trek. And I just had it bad for Captain Kirk. You know, like I had a crush on Shatner. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, <laughs> Captain Kirk. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Over to you. My mind was going back and forth between male and female crushes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, male crush for sure was River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even to this day, I feel like I was supposed to marry him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Gonna have to find him in the next life. Oh, man. Say, hey, dude, you didn't go along with the plan. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, Daisy Duke. Oh, mm. hello. Uh huh. Hello. Oh, yeah. So I've got my male and my female crush. There you go. You know, and uh, so the next question is if you had them both in the room, who would you choose? <gasps> Daisy Duke. Daisy. Daisy. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Yeah. All the way. Any of the listeners want to chime in? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing you said that because another like really deep and hard celebrity crush I had was Bo Duke. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was cuss. super cute. And you know what I found out? He and I have the same birthday. Oh, like, my I was gosh, like, oh, exactly. so weird. I was like, I have a crush on my birthday buddy. But it was just the blonde curls and just, he was totally. a little, he was a little, I liked the, the cute, little cute, kind of dumb, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, like uh-huh. little bit, yeah. you know. Later on, like my, I, I liked the ones that were more clever and rebellious, but like, you know, it was just those kind of innocent, yeah. pretty, pretty ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I would uh, definitely agree with you because when I was a kid, I actually was torn between him and Daisy and I was like, yeah, Daisy all the way. Daisy all the way. But yeah, Bo was definitely cuter than me. <laughs> and if they're listening to this podcast right now, no offense. <laughs> Bo, Bo uh, has the vote in this room. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, by the way, we would like to interview you. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, let's have a Dukes of Hazard reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. I just want to go put my Daisy Duke shorts on right now. 
Well, that was really fun. I feel like um, you and I talk all the time, and I learned some new things about you as well today, Jeanette. And that, that's special to me, so it was really fun. And the same here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we'll definitely have a good time recording a bunch of awesome podcast episodes together. Yes. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll be leading... And uh, uh, and I'll be just sitting back in awe listening to you and vice versa. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be really great. Good things to come. Sweet. Okay, we're going to high five. High five. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and uh, stay tuned. We got some good stuff coming up. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves yeah. Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will hope this conversation has empowered you. Remember, you are unique and you are a miracle. Your body doesn't make mistakes. It responds perfectly to an imperfect environment. Until next time, go get that life.